Think your pediatric knowledge is up to date? Well, here are six childhood ear infection facts that parents often don't know. Let's test your pediatric ear infection knowledge in this edition of Portable Practical Pediatrics. Welcome to Portable Practical Pediatrics, a podcast for parents and families, a place dedicated to children and their well-being. And now, direct from Studio 1E in Charlotte, North Carolina, here's your host, Dr. Paul Smolin. Have you ever wondered what's going on when your child complains of ear pain while having a cold? And how do you know if your young child with little ability to talk or localize pain, if he or she is hurting? It reminds me of an afternoon 30-something years ago when I was taking care of my son, Ben, who had a bad cold. He was two years old at the time. I couldn't get him to play or read a book with me or eat anything. He was just acting strange, and he cried about everything. He was old enough to be verbal, but wasn't complaining of anything, just crying, crying, and crying. After a few hours of this, his genius pediatrician father, yours truly, wondered if he might have an ear infection complicating his bad cold. So I pulled out my otoscope, and oh yes, he had a hot one. I felt terrible that I didn't think about this earlier in the day, and he had suffered all day. So much for that medical degree and four years of pediatric training. I learned that day that being a parent is different than being a doctor. So what was causing little Ben's pain? Any of the structures around the ear can cause ear pain, including your child's teeth, their muscles of chewing, the joint in the jaw that moves with chewing, or their tonsils. But when it comes to causes of ear pain, the big gorilla in the room is a middle ear infection caused by trapped, infected mucus behind their eardrum. Sure enough, Ben's infection was the middle ear type, an extension of his cold backing into his ear, and his pain was caused by a sudden outward pressure of his eardrum from the pus and pressure that developed in the middle ear. Ow! You may not be aware, but your child's eardrum is as sensitive as their corneas, and when it gets pushed on, it's not fun. Now for a little history about otitis media. In my childhood, ear infections were treated by lancing your eardrum. My my pediatrician, let's call him Dr. X, simply reached into his pocket when he decided I had an ear infection and pulled out a little instrument called a myringotomy knife. That means eardrum knife. And he simply cut my eardrum, letting the pressure and pus out of my eardrum. Needless to say, Dr. X was not my favorite person. And I quickly learned to never complain of an earache. When he was not cutting my eardrum, His nurse was filling my little bottom with an injection of penicillin. Dr. X and his nurse made quite a team. Fortunately, medicine has moved forward from those days. For the rest of the 20th century, antibiotics alone became the mainstay of treatment for otitis media, more humane and very effective until 
the era of antibiotic-resistant bacteria arrived. You know, those superbugs that we've read about that just laugh at our strongest medicines and refuse to die. Their existence has forced a revolution in treatment in the past decade that I'm about to describe to you. Parents need to consider otitis media when their children have a snotty nose, usually for a few days, and they start acting like they have pain, maybe by just crying a lot like Ben did, or pulling at their ears, or not sleeping, or a myriad of other more subtle signs and symptoms. Most ear infections afflict pre-verbal children, so knowing when to take them to the pediatrician can be quite challenging. At the beginning of my pediatric career, a full 40% of all the visits to my office were related to ear infections. Not so today, mainly because a vaccine that most children in the United States get called pneumococcal 13 or pneumococcal 23 vaccines. These vaccines really reduced the number of ear infections children were getting. And today, I would estimate that ear infections only account for about 10% of all the pediatric visits that I see. And all those antibiotics we had in our arsenal back then in the good old days to control the germs causing middle ear infections, well, they to a large degree just have stopped working. And ever stronger germs are coming down on today's children. Let's fast forward to today's children and their ear infections. Pediatricians have an entirely different approach once they realize that about 60% of ear infections go away without treatment. Now, had you told me in 1982, the year I started in practice, when I started my pediatric career, that 60 to 85% of those hot ears I was treating would go away without treatment, I would have thought you insane. But that is the reality in today's world. In 1982, every pediatrician was worried that Every ear infection in a child that they saw could become meningitis in just a few hours. We saw that happen all the time. But fortunately, the vaccines that children are given today have essentially eliminated any chance that a nose and ear infection will turn into a bloodstream infection and or meningitis, the fear we had before the vaccine era, and the reason that we can now avoid immediate treatment of children with ear infections. And here's another realization that has been a game changer. That's the fact that antibiotics probably only shorten the length of ear pain in a child with an ear infection by about one to two days. These facts have led pediatricians to back off automatic treatment of ear infections with antibiotics. So now when an older than six-month-old child who doesn't have a fever has an ear infection and doesn't look or act really sick, pediatricians often take the wait-and-see approach. Today's treatment of otitis media is not lancing, not broad-spectrum, potent antibiotics, but rather pain medicine and watchful waiting. Treatment with antibiotics only occurs if the child looks very sick or doesn't improve in the first 48 hours of observation or gets worse before then. Yes, today's treatment of ear infections is all about pain management, not treatment of the actual infection. Quite a change from the old days. So how should parents take on the pain of an ear infection in their children? 
Well, recently, the FDA decided to require safety and efficacy data on topical ear infection medicines that had previously been grandfathered. These were drops that would numb an eardrum if a child had pain. Well, you may have heard of these medicines, and they went by some very familiar names like Oraligan and Abiotic. The companies making them were forced to remove them from the marketplace until their safety and efficacy could be proven at the company's expense. Well, the companies decided not to have that expense. So that was the end of these medicines. Well, parents are still left with homeopathic drops to treat their children's ear infections, but little reliable information about effectiveness and safety are available here for these kinds of drops as well. Of course, there are the grandma-approved home remedies, like putting heat on the ear, or cold on the ear, or garlic on the ear, or one of my favorites, a cut onion on the ear, or that old standby, a few drops of olive oil in the ear. Well, maybe they work, and maybe they're just distractions, taking the child's mind off of their pain. I'm sure I would be distracted if my mother put a cut onion on my ear. I would think she's crazy. But fortunately, most parents that I see choose to give their children either acetaminophen, that's Tylenol, or ibuprofen uh, when their child has ear pain. And I think that there's pretty good evidence that the ibuprofen choice is the more effective choice. Well, what should parents do when their child or children have ear pain from suspected otitis media? That means a cold with a change in behavior or a complaint of ear pain. Well, here's what I would suggest. I want you to take them to the doctor if they have a fever along with their suspected ear infection. I want you to take them to the doctor if they're under two years of age, since they have very little language at that age and cannot tell you what's hurting, especially if they're under six months of age. Take them to the doctor if they act really sick. Take them to the doctor if they have a history of chronic or complicated ear infections in the past, especially if they've had tubes. Take them to the pediatrician if you suspect an ear infection but they also have associated symptoms like vomiting or redness around their eye or tenderness behind their ear or a generalized rash or anything else that seems out of the ordinary. I want you to take them to the pediatrician if your child is sick in any way and not immunized or too young to have completed their first six-month series of shots. And finally, I want you to take them to the pediatrician if your parental instinct, you know, that little voice inside you says, I think they're really sick, and I think they need to be checked, go ahead and take them. That little voice is very reliable in my... But assuming your child has ear pain but doesn't fall into one of those just-mentioned categories, why not try the wait-and-see approach before taking them to the pediatrician? The wait-and-see approach says that if the pain is one-sided, in a child without any other signs of serious illness, that treating pain for 48 hours with acetaminophen or ibuprofen is the ticket. If the pain persists beyond 48 hours or your child gets sicker before the 48 hours is over, take them to the pediatrician and consider treating them with antibiotics. This approach doesn't work well for children under two years of age and probably is only practical for older than two-year-old children. 
And of course, if you have any doubt about what to do, don't hesitate to contact your child's pediatrician. That is what they are there for. Okay, so in the title, I promised to tell you six things that is likely you didn't know about ear infections in your children. Fact number one, your children's eardrum is as sensitive to pain as their corneas, among the most sensitive cells in their bodies, hence the high degree of pain with ear infections. Two, the majority of ear infections in children go away without treatment. Three, antibiotics only shorten the duration of pain by a day or two compared to not treating your child at all. Four, because of vaccines, serious complications or life-threatening illness from ear infections is much rarer today than just a generation ago. Five, the treatment of ear infections has drastically changed in the past 20 years, for most consisting of the wait-and-see approach previously described. And finally, six, the main treatment of ear infections today is pain medicine. Well, that's it for this installment of Portable Practical Pediatrics. If you think the information you get on this podcast is valuable, consider writing a review on our Facebook page or on iTunes and sharing some of the episodes with friends and family. This is Doc Smo broadcasting from Studio 1E. You know, that's the first child's bedroom on the east side of my house, hoping that you know what to do the next time your little squirt has an ear hurt. Until next time. I would like to thank the following people for their assistance in the production of this podcast. Dr. David Jaffe, the voice of the introduction. Robert Beezer, the composer-arranger of the intro music. Anne Gesner, my wonderful content editor. Benjamin Smolin and Jerome Moof, the talented musicians who produced this delightful theme music, Sarah Smolin and Nathaniel Horlick for their digital wizardry, and Wendy Smolin Esquire and Seth, the Rocket Man Barrister Jaffe, for their inspirational guidance. Thanks, guys. By listening to this podcast, you agree to all of the terms and conditions found at the docsmo.com website. This docsmo.com podcast is informational only. Dr. Smolin does not diagnose, treat, or offer specific medical advice for your child. For specific medical advice regarding your child, consult his or her health care provider.